0: Okay, so welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast, and today I have a special guest. Um, I came across her work when I was taking a course on Goetia with Jason Augustus Newcomb, and I've noticed uh, she was the, or is, the current host of the and Now podcast, which I really recommend checking out. Um, a lot of good guests and a great interviewer, and so I figured I'd have Harper Feist on the podcast today. Um, can you give us a brief introduction and sort of how you initially got into the esoteric and the occult
1: well sure thanks for having me on the podcast ryan this Mm -hmm. this is going to be fun i think Mm -hmm. so um i am in the real world a a phd scientist a martial Mm -hmm. artist um a, a mother actually um i keep orchids and carnivorous plants and um and I drive a manual transmission. <laughs> <laughs> um, Harper Feist is uh, a person, it, it's actually my my sobriquet. Um, I, mm-hmm. nobody, nobody knows the real me, or perhaps <laughs> not. Um, so like I said, I'm a scientist. Um, and mm-hmm. how I got into the esoteric has uh, a lot in relationship to why I got into science. When I was an undergraduate, I found myself in the basement of Norland Library, which is uh, this titanically huge, wonderful library on the CU Boulder campus. Hmm. And uh, I discovered uh, the Lynn Thorndike series, Magic and Experimental uh, Science in Experimental Magic. Sorry. Hmm. And... um, it kind of changed my worldview. So here I am, I'm 19. And I, I stumble, stumble onto this, these bunch of amazingly cool green books that talk about alchemy, they talk about um, how chemistry evolved from alchemy. Hmm. I I guess that was a chief focus of mine at that time. Um, So I actually, my first Declared major was history because I really wanted to study that. Over time, um, I actually became uh, a chemist. I took thermodynamics, and the math is just so pretty. I stuck with it, but you know, um, alchemy and kind of witchcraft, witchcrafty things, let's say, mm-hmm. um, kind of all all blended together with the science. And and I will say that there were a couple people that I met about this time who introduced me to Alistair Crowley and Robert Anton Wilson and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I went from you know being a 19 year old who was kind of stumbling through school and um, finding fascinating things to read that I couldn't really wrap my head around mm-hmm. to the person I am today um, who is interested in ceremonial magic, um, the magic of the late classical period Um, scrying of course I suppose we'll talk about that Mm -hmm. and and kind of related things and I would say by now um, my interest in the occult is is eclipsing my science actually.
0: Mm. Okay that's quite interesting I'm curious because um, as I mentioned I came across your work uh, through a course I was taking and uh, you're sort of well known for scrying was that something that you always felt a connection with or you always felt it was sort of an innate ability or is it something that you developed over time through your practice?
1: Mm, that's that's actually a cool question. So my um, I think my, my grip on reality is pretty solid in general. It, as a scientist, I, I'm pretty empirical, but a series of weird things had happened to me Sort of as a teenager, that, that made me curious as to sort of what else was out there, you know, what, what we can't measure with our scientific equipment or our own um, sensor suite, our, our eyes, our nose, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, this happened when I was still a professor at, in, in Colorado. Uh, a friend of mine who was a, a Mason came to me as, as sort of a witchy type person. And he said, hey, Harper, have you ever summoned a demon? <laughs> and I'm like, no, but we should go do that because it sounds interesting. How, do you, how does one go about summoning a demon?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he introduced me to the notion of the Goetia. And he said, um, I need somebody to, to watch while I do this.
2: Hmm.
1: And I agreed. And you'll, you'll see as I tell the story that this completely changed my life <laughs> in all sorts of funny ways. So he, he tells me, okay, we're going to build all this stuff. We've painted a nine foot circle on a, on a big piece of um, sailcloth. Mm-hmm. You know, we made, we made robes, we bought swords, all, all the gear. And when we were, Oh, and, and it's pertinent to this that we chose a, a spirit from the Theurgia Goetia um, because he thought they were less frightening <laughs> than, than the, the rest of our 72 friends. All right. So um, here we are, this, this guy, this Mason, and, and me, and we have all our gear and we sneak into the Masonic Temple in Boulder. Won't mm-hmm. tell you which one. we sneak in there we lock ourselves in the temple i think it's saturday afternoon
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and we put on our robes and we lay out the circle and we start working Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and um so my my friend is absolutely terrified that something is gonna happen i'm thinking that probably nothing will and and in the back of my mind, I'm worried that the Masons are going to figure out what we're doing (laughs) and and ask to be permitted.
2: Right.
1: So, uh, my friend is so nervous. He can't actually remember the script, Mm. which he had previously memorized. So he's stumbling through the, the reading of, of the invocation Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I'll be darned. Shit started to happen. Mm. The, uh, so I'm sitting at his feet inside the, the circle and mm-hmm. we were trying to call the, the spirit into a, a crystal on, you know, on the triangle, mm-hmm. the, the total classical approach. And I saw the atmosphere sort of condense in the back of the room and things got cold and, and my friends started to get really freaked out. <laughs> I'm still more worried about the Masons than the spirit, but the spirit actually <laughs> appeared in the back of the room Mm -hmm. um, and he was sitting he like insofar as spirits actually have gender we'll call him he he -hmm. was sitting in a one of these movie theater type chairs and he was small and mostly he sounded like my my mom right why don't you call me (laughs) and and it wasn't i'm making it sound pathetic but actually it was (laughs) it was really poignant in that i mean it it meant to me um it was a wholehearted invitation by the invisible world in a sense Mm -hmm. and um so i i reported this to my friend and he wrote down the very brief conversation we had and um then we uh gave license to depart and at the, the speed of light, we ripped our robes off and rolled everything up and went running from the building.
0: Mm. <laughs> that's, <And> that's, so, <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh, that's interesting. I would also say probably the fact that you guys were sort of worried about the Masons coming in. And um, that, probably, that alone probably almost put you in like a heightened state of awareness too, you know, sort of a, um, I don't know what you would say, but you have to be almost be hyper aware. Are they coming in? What's going on here? You know, almost like, oh, like an altered state in a way, right?
1: Kind of. And mm-hmm. and keep in mind that Masons don't like women, right?
0: Mm, yeah, they're not so, usually allowed in the uh, Blue Lodges, right?
1: Yeah. So uh, I wasn't supposed to be in there for all sorts of different reasons. Mm-hmm. But you know, the funny part of the story happens later. And that mm-hmm. is that we performed this ritual on, on the eve of my departure um, to Florida, I was being relocated.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I, I didn't talk to my friend again for a month. And then he called and he said, you won't believe it. Uh, the spirit who was, was Ushiel mm-hmm. of, like I said, of the TG, um, he showed up while I was having a massage and um, <laughs> And, and so we, we terminated the phone call and I'm sitting, um, it's, it's night, I'm sitting on my bed thinking, oh, holy, holy crap, um, what did he forget to say in the ritual that, that led this to happen?
2: Mm.
1: And then I started to get a little bit worried about it. So I, I took the seal, which I had, <clears throat> and I put it in the, the thing that I had that was closest to a brass vessel, which happened to be a bright orange metal toolbox.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I I trapped the trapped the spirit in there and and I didn't want to be too disrespectful so I I put a bunch of flowers on top <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I then I went looking for somebody to help me figure out what the hell to do
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, Frater As- Asan Chasan mm-hmm. was a, a friend of mine from from uh, Colorado Springs so I called him and he turned me on to Rufus Opus who um, eventually helped me get that the spirit out of the toolbox and mm. the the spirit is now actually a house a house spirit where I live
0: <laughs> oh that's interesting and that was your first actual um, experience crying and sort mm-hmm. of an, an invocation in general right
2: mm-hmm. oh,
1: yeah and, and since then I realized uh, you know maybe um in spite of my super linear ordinary life I I seem to have um Uh, not I wouldn't even call it a skill but maybe a predilection Mm -hmm. for for doing this kind of work and and then I realized that the the way I was doing it it, these are skills that everybody has Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so then I started talking talking to people in terms of um, a more uh, a more in a more teaching capacity
0: right well you mentioned that it's a skill that everyone has but definitely Um, there are people who have a lot of trouble with this area, right? Like for me personally, I don't have any trouble. Like the first time I started scrying, I mean, I've always had somewhat of a visionary, um, I would say, I've had a lot of visionary experiences in general. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. anything really new, so to speak. But for a lot of people, they, you know, they have a lot of trouble. They have some blockages or what have you. So um, I'm kind of curious, like for people, do you think that everyone has the ability to scry and, what are what, what do you think is holding a lot of people back in general what kind of tips would you give them
1: oh i su- i suppose that let us um mm-hmm. let us invoke robert anton wilson <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what our friend robert would say is that we we have programming that prohibits us from from doing that adventure
2: mm-hmm.
1: right i mean um, normal normal people and i'm i'm doing the <laughs> the finger finger motion here normal people don't talk about this kind of stuff and in fact normal people don't don't want to um even admit that the choices they make are largely irrational Hmm. so um just as an example i I recently purchased a car Mm -hmm. um some part of the the choice of the car was was rational right i i did my homework um on reliability and which year was the best and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, what sold the car to me was it was fun.
2: Right. <laughs> it was pure so, emotion. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's pure emotion. And, and right. People, people won't even admit to themselves that their lives are largely driven through irrational feelings and, and emotions and impressions and, relationships and you know all that they won't even admit that
2: mm, and that's so
1: true. you know how how much further do they need to go before they can say you know i felt something weird when you said that mm. or um i mean so people are in church and there's all sorts of wild things that happen in churches sure and Definitely. people don't talk about that so largely you know, to directly answer your question, I think people need permission to do that kind of exploration.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, a lot of people, they don't, either it's sort of outside of their reality tunnel or, um, I mean, I could also see there'd be fear, like fear of the unknown or fear of allowing mm-hmm. these experiences to happen, right? And so- oh, sure.
1: I mean, when you start talking to, to people about demons, they're terrified.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. Um,
1: Except me, apparently, because I'm <laughs> I'm damaged or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. What, what was your first? Uh, your first reaction seemed sort of um, when you said that Mason friend of yours uh, mentioned like evoking a demon or something. Your first reaction was like, "Yeah, let's go do this," you know. Whereas a lot of people would be like, "What the hell, <laughs> right?" Like they would be sort yeah. of scared or shocked or freaked out or what have you, right? So. Well, um,
1: actually, that tells uh, tells everyone a lot about my basic personality. We'll just leave it at that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, so you would say definitely um, the mindset and uh, sort of mental blockages are definitely something that are holding people back from scrying, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, it, to kind of put the cherry on that Sunday, mm-hmm. maybe we can even say that that people, especially um, Christians, maybe especially, especially evangelical Christians, um, they're told that this kind of activity is satanic and, and it's not to be done.
0: Mm, sure, right. So they have sort of, um, uh, I guess you would say narratives or they're sort, of, they're sort of given opinions or structures on what their visionary experiences might be. So if it's something mm-hmm. scary, then that's wrong and you shouldn't be doing this if it's something that looks, um, you know, I don't know, threatening or scary. If it's something that's beautiful, then maybe it's correct, right? So they come in with these sort of um, preconceptions or uh, narratives on how they would interpret any sort of scrying experience in general, right?
1: Sure, I I think so. I mean, the the, the whole, my whole generation has watched The Exorcist too many times.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah um okay do you find that once people get beyond you know some initial mental blocks do you do you find that they can at least have um a fair amount of scrying or visionary experiences
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i i honestly think so the the feedback that i've received from like my talks my classes that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um there's just this really beautiful variety of of Ways that this actually uh, manifests for people. No, no two people do this exactly the same. No, Mm -hmm. no two people receive the same type of information. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you give yourself permission to do something and just listen, something is going to happen.
0: Right, right. Um, Do do you find that people like for me, I'm very visual, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And do you find that so when when you when people typically think about scrying, at least me, I think of more like visionary experiences right but do you find that a lot of people have um, you know they 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 do these but they have more of an auditory experience or other sensations rather than visual
1: mm, I think there's a, a really huge variety mm-hmm. and and actually you said something that reminds me of an important point mm-hmm. and that is that you know some people when when we all start talking about scrying they're they're upset because they've never um, managed to get spirits to show up, you know, in, in full physical manifestation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in my experience, that doesn't usually happen. Um, there is generally a, a sort of link between the experience and the interpretation of it that's not very clear, usually.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, yeah, I think there is all sorts of different expressions. In fact, I'm not super visual. Mm, my, uh, okay. actually, you know, con- true confessions. My my eyesight is wretched. <laughs> it, it's high. You know, it's highly corrected all the time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I couldn't drive. Um, I would have trouble recognizing people.
0: Mm.
1: So, you know, my scrying experience is not not very visual.
0: Okay, that's important for people to hear because. Um, a lot of people probably do have these experiences, but they think, they interpret them as not being scrying experiences or visionary experiences per se, mm-hmm. because they're not coming in only through the visual um, aspect, right? Different through right. different sort of spheres of sensation, right?
1: Sure, and I, I think one, one of the major points that I try to make with people is that um, additional information other, other than visual, is really important. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what what is scrying really? It's it's like, let's call it an imaginative trance. Mm-hmm. And so, when you when you go into trance for whatever reason, you have to kind of follow it. You have to make it continue. Mm-hmm. You have to will yourself to stay, mostly, un- unless there are entheogens involved or unless. <laughs> ridiculously tired right right and and i kind of what i think about the the extra um the information given by the other senses is that it can be used to extend and expand the this imaginative trance that is crying
0: sure um would you even recommend people use uh, entheogens? For me personally, I mean, back in the day, I did a lot of (laughs) entheogens, I guess, as you would call them. And so I would say that that sort of had, it sort of like broke open the door, so to speak, right? I'm not saying that I wouldn't be been able to scry or have these sort of experiences without them. But I would certainly say that they helped me tap into that potential or to uh, sort um, sort of opened a gateway that I'm able to utilize right Mm. um and so i mean that's sort of a these days i don't know these days entheogens are sort of cool and hip and it's the silicon valley thing to do right like like now they're talked about almost in the way of like uh, optimal performance or something so it's no longer that taboo as years ago right right um, you can um, even
1: get ketamine from your your therapist
0: are you serious i didn't know that (laughs) yeah i have a a lot of my families up in um like half of my family's up in Oregon and I believe like all drugs are decriminalized now there. So it's not, um, you know, anything mm-hmm. weird and with all the research with on um, psychedelics for mental health and whatnot. Do would yeah. you, do you ever recommend people to use, um, those substances? I mean, especially if they're in a place where they're legal, right?
1: Well, I, you know, so the, the questions of legality are, are important ones. Mm-hmm. Um, And obviously this is going to go out into the public. So I'm not going to say to tell people um, Mm -hmm. to do illegal things, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but let me step back on my other foot and I'm, I'm a thelemite and Mm -hmm. what people do with their bodies is, is their business Mm -hmm. in, in my book. And, and further um, let's just say the, the way that I think about this in general is, uh, as an experimentalist, mm-hmm. so we we always want to push the boundaries that we have. If right. this works, maybe that works better and and I think um, it's really important for people to continue to try new things.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. was that diplomatic enough? <laughs> yeah i I mean, I totally agree do try new things and but be somewhat smart about it or somewhat yeah and, I mean safe. be. Take be precautions. Precautions. Sure, yeah. sure, definitely, definitely. Like you
1: could probably have a a really uh, a really fantastically um, uh, transformatory experience running across a highway, but but
0: you know, like... <laughs> right, right, might not be the most prudent thing. But yeah, um, <laughs> okay, yeah, um, okay. I'm curious. I mean, you mentioned about evocation. Um, I'm curious what practices do you currently do regularly um, and how has your overall, you know, personal practice evolved over time?
1: Hmm. That, that actually is sort of a long story. So mm-hmm. let me, let me shortify it just a little bit for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been lately mm-hmm. doing PGM related magical work. And the way that I approach the PGM is, um, sort of like, uh, and this is going to be her- totally heretical to some people, but, you know, <laughs> when you read the PGM and and the PGM says, okay, um, go find, a, a donkey head and then go and get the stomach of a black sparrow and then go and get, um, a box shaped like a monkey that has a door in the top.
2: Hmm.
1: So these, all of the magical materia of the PGM were just things that that were commonly available, right? Sure, sure. And and so, what would happen if we were to take the, you know, probably that they were scribes or or something like that. Mm-hmm. These dudes and and dudettes, perhaps, who wrote the PGM. Mm-hmm if we brought them forward into the year 2021 Mm -hmm. they would have written those spells around um, cell phones Mm -hmm. and around cars and around um, heating systems and around Tinder, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So, so a a lot, usually what I I like to do is to do, to do the spell the way it's written and then, push it forward in time because mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't live in the second century of the common era. I live now and, and all of the, the same sort of opportunistic magic, magical um, material that they mm-hmm. used is um, the sort of metric equivalents are available now. And it, mm-hmm. it behooves us as, as creative people and, and you know, so-called magicians, sorcerers, witches, whatever we are, mm-hmm. to uh, to push our practice forward. I mean, the whole of the PGM is this big, syncretized mess of uh, you know of spells and religious uh, material and gods and goddesses that wouldn't have been possible without Alexander the Great. Yeah. You know, he he created an empire that allowed people to talk to one another. Um, It's not entirely dissimilar from the modern use of the Internet, I would say. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it it seems like a lot of people not saying it's right or wrong, but they sort of want to go back like the older, the better, you know, like Mm -hmm. finding the the oldest grimoire or the oldest book and the the oldest way to do something. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I like that um, you're sort of approaching it from uh, sort of a modern person's standpoint, right? Like what do mm-hmm. we have in the modern world and we're not living in, you know, 3000 years ago, at this specific area, right? And so- right, And,
1: and the PGM itself gives us permission to stick, stick things, you know, stick unlikely things together, mm-hmm. to, um, be creative and and to like uh, as i was saying you know experiment and see what works for you and and continue to innovate
0: right and adapt it to your own personal practice right mm. yeah that's cool. yeah i mean mm-hmm.
1: uh, that having been said okay so uh, mm-hmm. on on your list of questions that you sent it, mm-hmm. it totally cracked me up that you asked me what do i do daily
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well I meant um yeah. Well I meant like regularly or it doesn't necessarily need to be daily, right? It could mm-hmm. be, you know, I mean, for example, a lot of people meditate daily or whatnot, but uh, you know, just on a like a regular basis. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah. And and I actually I wanted to ad- address that and, and be really brutally honest. Mm-hmm. So for years and years I had a meditative practice and I did pranayama and mm-hmm. and I did rash even the midnight one. Mm-hmm. And and I did that for years and years. And then um, I had a health crisis and then my relationship got crazy and mm-hmm. then that relationship broke up. And so the, my practices nowadays um, are like uh, stretching my hip flexors.
2: <laughs> you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. and, and I...
1: I want to just like acknowledge in in sort of a cheerful, helpful way that this whole pandemic thing has been Mm -hmm. hell for everyone's personal practice. Um, If you have completely fallen off whatever wagon you're on speaking Mm -hmm. to the listeners, um, good, good on you. We're all going to get back on the wagon or the, you know, our chariot, let's call it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but doing, doing this kind of work is really hard if you're not, Um, in a stable place or uh, if your personal life or professional life has been radically overturned
0: oh for sure for sure Um, I think that yeah it's interesting though I think it could go both ways right like depending on um, these days with the pandemic a lot of people are honestly thrown into chaos right but on the other Mm -hmm. hand some people are sort of um in another way though some people are sort of forced to face themselves because say they're in a country where they're locked down and they can't really go outside and it's almost like it might have been the first time you're stuck home alone to face yourself mm-hmm. so to speak does that make sense and so oh yeah 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 and so i think that in a way it could be a good time to sort of <laughs> exercise the demons so to speak or to sort of develop <laughs> to develop a you know some sort of practice that you can sort of ground yourself in, and um, that can be a value that can help you to, you know, stabilize yourself. That's for it. me, yeah, for me personally, like meditation is my main practice that I at least do consistently, and it's mostly just to feel um, sort of grounded and sort of emotionally stable and mentally stable. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's almost hygienic. I, I think, guess you I, would say. I think
1: it's it's super helpful, and and mm-hmm. uh, that that will be the thing that I add add back quickly mm-hmm. i mean meditation is great for for magical practice but it also keeps your shit together just in general mm-hmm. don't you find
0: yeah definitely definitely it's uh, i definitely notice the days that i don't meditate there's certainly um a little bit more reactivity or irritability mm-hmm. you know and the days that i do start with meditation wake up start with meditation um, I definitely feel a lot more centered, calm, less reactive, more mm-hmm. present. And it's, it just adds, you know, it's just a better experience of the world, right? So <laughs> yeah, I guess I, that's the best way to describe agree it. With that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. the, the world is a more let's just put it this way the world's a more pleasant place right like you know don't, you, don't, you don't open Facebook and get irritated and walk down the street and get pissed off at the next guy next to you right it's more you're just sort of calm and content with everything at least that's my experience you know I'm not saying that's going to be everyone so um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people meditate and they're like oh my brain you know initially that's that's the first hump getting over the chatter just mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Not saying that that will necessarily ever fully go away, but um, meditation isn't, you know, it's sort of sold as this, um, you know, blissful experience, which it certainly can be, but there is, there are those moments and those periods initially throughout your practice where it's just irritating almost while you're doing it. Right.
2: <laughs>
1: right I, I guess, I guess I would, I, I, I would beg to differ and call it the anti-bliss. It's <laughs> really you're forced to, and and this is this actually um, kind of overlaps a little bit with scrying because when you meditate like that, you're forced to recognize that that your your head, your mind, is this. Um, it's an it's a puppy that's not housebroken, and mm-hmm. so it it's very it, it can be very charming, but other times it just yaps and yaps and yaps, and then it pees on your foot. So. Mm-hmm. It, our our minds are these these rascally things and when you scry you have to try to make it be quiet because you're listening
0: yeah exactly it's almost like becoming a vessel emptying out and sort of letting an experience happen definitely think that's exactly. the uh, the value of uh meditation or even establishing some sort of regular uh practice that you do that sort of grounds you and focuses you right that it, it's so true.
1: I mean, it's it's sort of the mental, um, the mental version of eating oatmeal for breakfast. It's just good for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, That's a good way to put it. I was actually just recently in the United Arab Emirates and um, I've been to Muslim countries before, but this is the first time I've seen this. So I was just walking down the street um, a few days ago. And uh, I was actually, I was actually passing Denny's, the good old American diner, right? American breakfast diner. No way, and, no yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was actually surprised at how much they had a Carl's Jr. Hardee's, as they call it. They had everything: their Dairy Queen, all the American stuff, right? And oh, so, that's so yeah. frightening. <laughs> yeah, but it's all in Arabic too, so it looks looks kind of cool. You know, you have all the like cursive-looking writing or whatever. But anyway, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I was walking down the street and. Um, uh, I don't know if you've been to a Muslim country, but they have, you know, you have all the mosques or masjids and um, the little minarets and there's the call to prayer five times a day. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, sure. um, yeah, so I was just walking and you hear the call to prayer. And this is the first time I've seen this where, um, uh, the, the people, people carry around these little, um, I guess it'd be like a mat or a rug. Right. And literally in the middle of the street, I'm talking like the street, the sidewalk, the parking lot, like as soon as they hear the call to prayer, they would open up their bag put the mat on the ground and literally everyone um would just go to go into prayer literally in the Mm -hmm. middle of the street right and i thought that you know i'm not saying necessarily that i i subscribe to islam or any you know mainstream religions or anything but the fact that they're so dedicated and they have like a regular it's like a regular part of life it's not like Mm -hmm. there's the spiritual life and then the mundane life or something like that it's like no this is you know it's a consistent practice it's integrated into all aspects of life and it's sort right. of, yeah. Right. I think I thought it was pretty. Um, I thought I thought it was cool in a way, just to see people so dedicated and devoted to something that they they literally just do it in the middle of the street like that. Like I they never... they,
1: pro- they probably don't even think about it. It's just mm-hmm. it's so ingrained in in their schedule, in their habits, in their in their hearts that it just mm-hmm. happens
0: right and honestly this is kind of fucked up but the first thing that came to mind was when I saw that I was like wow these people are extremely devoted and dedicated and I was thinking like what are Americans this dedicated or devoted to the only thing I could think of was like complaining on Facebook or something like that (laughs) (laughs) that's like the daily ritual I seem to notice
1: (laughs) I I think we're probably all guilty of that (laughs) yeah
0: yeah yeah might not necessarily be an American phenomenon per se but yeah well
1: not not anymore, but I think like <laughs> yeah. maybe we started it.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The virus has spread, so to speak. So uh, I think <laughs> yeah. uh, that's pretty funny. Okay, cool. Um yeah, actually also I found out about you through your podcast, which is um it's an amazing podcast. You have amazing guests on there, and um yeah, great interviewer overall as well. I'm very curious since you've interviewed so many people, I think you said, how many episodes have you done? Like 50 or?
1: Well, I I was calculating it's, it's been five years and we do one a month. So it's something on the order of 60.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I'm curious if, have there been any, not to ask you what your favorite one is or anything like that. Okay. Uh, Don't, uh... (laughs) don't do that. (laughs) But uh, has there been any that, has there been, you know, maybe a handful or one or two that, you did and it sort of just totally changed the way you think about things or sort of um encouraged or inspired a practice a new um a new practice perhaps
1: yeah actually uh, so uh, let's step back a little bit um Thalema now is the podcast uh, of the u.s grand lodge mm-hmm. of the oto and i am incredibly honored to have been the host or God forbid, hostess of Thalema now since um, probably mid 2016, I think. Mm -hmm. And the um, nominally, the people that we bring in to to speak to us on the podcast have something to do with the occulture. So, not usually um, directly related to Thalema or um, the OTO, Mm -hmm. but something around the edges of um the uh, kind of esoteric community mm-hmm. um i it, so a couple of people who have impacted me in in a couple really interesting and important ways have been associated with scarlet imprint mm. and I, I will say that um peter mark adams is a is uh an author in in their stable mm-hmm. probably shouldn't say it that way but i think they do <laughs> And um, he, he's an amazing person who combines uh, historical fact and esoteric um, understanding and, and a little bit of conjecture about what they mean together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so I first interviewed him maybe in 2017 when he released Game of Saturn, mm-hmm. which is just an uh, astonishingly cool, book and, uh, and card deck, hmm. enjoyed that a lot. But um, more recently uh, I interviewed him on the occasion of the release of his book, Miss Die, which is more or less a study of uh, a Roman villa and, and the paintings on the inside of this villa that actually show an initiatory process that that's of course beautifully uh, represented both in terms of artwork and and described in his book. Mm. And at the end of our conversation, we just we just got to talking about um, doing history and the fact I was a scientist. And before you knew it, he in, invited me to help him think about an optical problem that that was teasing him on an, a new work that he was doing. Uh, on the Hagia Sophia, mm. and um, I, I actually collaborated with him a little bit. It was a, it was an amazing honor. I think you know the book is still in review. Uh, they, I, I'm not even sure if my little appendix will make it in there. But just having having done that work was so amazing.
0: So that that's on the Hagia Sophia in Turkey. You're talking about just like the history of it, or what is that?
1: Mm-hmm yeah the, like mm-hmm. the the the
2: so
1: his mm-hmm. uh his um pro- proposal proposition mm-hmm. is that the structure of the thing mm-hmm. has been heavily influenced by the sorts of practices that happen there and i should mm-hmm. i should leave it at that you know my <laughs> my contribution was kind of how how the lighting in the dome worked because you know, oh, know cool i've done, done optics and and I, I, I enjoyed that just so profoundly. And working with him was um, such an honor and um, kind of fertilized me to think about ways that uh, I, I want the rest of my life to go. It was wholly transformative. Wow,
0: well, that's amazing. I'm going to have to look into, um, I've heard of him, but I'm going to have to look into his work. I haven't read any of his work and, um you mentioned that new book I was actually at the Hagia Sophia about a year ago or so Mm -hmm. and so I mean it was just if you go there in person it's just mind-blowing it blows you away it was like the biggest building in the ancient world I believe and Mm -hmm. um went through a bunch of transformations and whatnot so yeah I'd definitely be interested in um uh checking out the new book do you know any do you know the timeline for that or it's probably Uh, still Mm -hmm.
1: I, I don't actually. It, it, it could happen yet this year, but I'm um, mm-hmm. not privy to the details. Okay. Checking out any of his work is, is something I highly recommend. He's, he's really an amazing author an amazing historian. And um, the links that he forms between uh, occult sorts of uh, topics and, and history, they're quite profound.
0: Mm, okay. Sounds interesting. Yeah. I remember um, I've seen some of his work just on the uh, Scarlet imprint website and uh, definitely have to uh, living here. I, I live in actually in South Korea. And so one thing about ordering books is number one, they take forever. And uh, number two, you know, you have the shipping fee, the international shipping fee, but if it's a good book, it's always worth it. Right. So,
2: right.
1: Why is it you live there? You never told me
0: um it's a long story but uh i originally studied um east asian studies and i learned uh i got fluent in korean and then i came for an exchange program and then sort of just went from there right like
2: came here and and
0: then after that i never really you know i go back and visit america but i never really uh went back so to speak so um I mean, it's it's been a good decision, I think. I mean, I'm traveling the world. I speak other languages. And seeing how things are panning out in America these days, you know, Korea is mm-hmm. relatively safe, very little COVID cases. It was handled very well. The economy, right. we, we never had a shutdown or a lockdown. Um, yeah, and so it's, uh, let's just say I haven't really regretted the choice, you know, right. Look at, looking right. how things have been playing out over the past several years. So, yeah. Cool. No, like, wow, well, I
1: guess I can never stop being an interviewer. It's, it's not my turn to ask the question.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of that, actually, I mentioned that you're such a good interviewer. This is kind of inside baseball, I guess, but there will be people here who um, interview or have their own podcast that listen, I'm sure. So I'm curious what your tips would be for like interviewing just, you know, this is sort of off topic, I guess, but um what would you say? Like you're, you're very good at getting the person to speak and open up. What would you say? Um, there are any keys to that?
1: Oh, I, I suppose some, most of that's just common sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, even as you did, um, you came up with a series of questions, uh, to provide some structure for the, for the interview. Mm -hmm. Um, we're largely sticking to it, which is helpful as, uh, I'm discovering as an interviewee, mm-hmm. but, but also um, how, to, how to put this. So when, when I'm interviewing, um, like all my attention is on, is on the person I'm talking to. I almost, like I was telling you before we, got, when we went live, I almost always use my webcam on because mm-hmm. there's just a variety of uh, visual hints that people will give you that they're comfortable or they're not. Mm. um one thing i really like to do is to have people read from their work Mm. i don't always get to do that but um sometimes i get people to read really astonishing
2: things
1: (laughs) 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 which which is always always cool but i mean in a sense being an interviewer is the same as as being a a scryer in ceremonial magic right you have Mm. a series of things you want to know from the entity be they (laughs) Spirit or, um, you know, uh, a, a human person. And then you sit back and, and listen, I think. Right. I, I don't know. Short of that, I don't have any uh, secrets.
0: Right. Then you cut the internet connection and license him or her to depart. <laughs> it's, it's kind they're of the they're same not way.
1: supposed to know that, Ryan.
0: <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. No, I like your <laughs> analogy. That's a great analogy there. Definitely. Um, I, I, uh, actually I'm taking a course with, um, uh, Jack Grail on the Blackthorn school website. And I noticed that you have a course on scrying there. So I think it'd be a good chance to, um, as we've been mentioning scrying pretty much throughout this whole podcast, right? Um, Mm -hmm. maybe you can share a little bit about the course and, um, what it includes and what kind of people would be best, um, who, who is it sort of designed for?
1: Well, the first I should say how wonderful it is to work with Blackthorn. Um, mm-hmm. I really never envisioned myself uh, doing this sort of thing, and the the support of Kalan and Jack and uh, Ash and others d- just really really nice, really important. Um, the class was originally designed for for people who had um, a modicum of magical experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'll say more about that in, in, in a sec, but it's like, um, it's a series of six or seven classes where I'm basically trying to convince people that they should doubt their senses and they should doubt the way that their minds work and, <laughs> and substitute sort of broader reality for it. Mm. In, in the end, we do get to the scrying tips and, and tricks and all that, but, but really the important thing like, like we said, you know, half an hour ago is, is presenting that person with permission to, to do this work, uh, confidence that, that they can, and, and a, cur- a fundamental curiosity ab- about how they could do it. Mm-hmm. Now, to go back to the issue of uh, having um, perhaps not seasoned practitioners, but at least folks who have um, Thought about this sort of thing before. Um, there's there's an aspect of this, and we talked about this too, that that involves some fear, mm-hmm. and I don't want people to get really fearful, and therefore I kind of lean on um, people's practice in in warding and banishing and shielding and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. because eventually, you know, you're going to have to make that magic circle and stand in it. And you have to trust it and you have to know how to drive it. And so brand new practitioners are people that I really keep my eye on in the class just to make sure that um, not per se that they are safe, but that they feel safe.
0: Does that make right. sense? No, that absolutely makes sense. And so, yeah, that's good. It's um, Is it sort of an ongoing thing? Is it over the course of... Um, you know, a month or two, or how, how is it sort of structured?
1: Well, I've, I'm in my second cohort of the class right now. Oh, cool.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. And, and so it, it will finish up in um, three weeks, three Mm -hmm. or four. It kind of depends toward the end. I tell stories and, um, and we, we share a lot of, a lot of material, Mm -hmm. Um, but I plan to do it again. So those, those folks in the audience who have not, uh, yet uh, delved into the, the scrying class, uh, please come and look me up for the next cohort. Um, I have no idea when it will start, but it, it won't be too long.
0: Okay, cool, yeah. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people interested in that, especially, as I mentioned, a lot of people who have trouble scrying. Sounds like a perfect, uh, perfect course for them and to work, uh, they can sort of ask you questions and um, interact mm-hmm. with you, I'd imagine, right?
1: Right. And, and I should say, thanks for asking that. Um, I should say that a lot of it's done through Facebook. We have a private group. Mm -hmm. Uh, The folks in the class can uh, ask questions and, uh, field their experiences and get feedback, not only from me, but from each other. And this group in particular, we've developed a real, real sense of community, um, extra proud to, to be involved with, with, uh, People of this caliber, you know, super, super active, super curious, super interested, just super in short.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Good to have a community. And I'm sure um, other practitioners bring things to the table and different practices, perspectives that can can all sort of uh, help each other out. Right.
1: Oh, absolutely. As much as my students learn, I'm sure I learn more, but don't tell them that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> right what's the saying the teacher learns more than the student or something there's an there's an old saying like that somewhere but i i do find that uh, to be true yeah uh-huh sure yeah. um okay cool are there any other like um so you mentioned uh you people can find that course on is it blackthornschool.com? is that correct the the com, okay.
1: and then mm-hmm. um the now is is i think the laymanow.net but I'll tell you what, Let's if we can um, post those two internet sites along with the, the interview, that would be cool.
0: Oh, most definitely. Definitely. Is there any um, any other way or any other um, websites or any other um, way that people can reach out to you?
1: Uh, well, people can front me on Facebook. I think mm-hmm. I'm the only Harper Feist in the universe so far. Um, <laughs>
2: okay.
1: And then... Um, I wonder is it appropriate for me to, to leave in uh, an email address?
0: Oh yeah definitely.'ll uh, you can tell, tell us the, tell the listeners your email and then also include everything in the uh, show notes as well. Okay well it, it's really easy.
1: it's harper.feist at gmail.com.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, it's nice that you have a uh, sort of unique name. It's not, you know, Jessica Smith. <laughs> they, might, they might be browsing through like 10,000 profiles or something to find you. So,
1: Right. No, no, I'm, I'm easy. I
2: mean,
1: no, I'm not easy. I'm easy to find.
0: <laughs> easy to find. <laughs> yeah. It's good to be
1: precise.
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. Well, yeah. Thanks for, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks for coming on. This has been really uh, a great conversation, I think. And Hopefully the listeners get a lot of value and uh, I definitely recommend um, for those who are uh, having trouble scrying, definitely recommend checking out your course. And as I mentioned, I've taken a course with uh, the Blackthorn school and it's really formatted very well and you do get um, some interaction with the teacher. And so definitely if anyone's interested, go check that out and uh, until next time.